And there's actually a story at the end of the book of Luke, right? And after Jesus has died on the cross, but before he's resurrected. So in that couple day period where he's dead, but they haven't seen him yet, there's two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. That might ring a bell in your mind. And as they're walking on the road to Emmaus, they have this conversation. And the conversation is, we had hoped that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. That's why they're so bummed. They get asked the question, why are you guys so sad? Well, we had followed this Jesus guy and he did a whole bunch of great stuff and he was mighty in word and deed and he rebuked the religious leaders and all this, but we thought he was going to restore the kingdom. That's what their greatest disappointment was. They didn't have the political power that they thought they were going to have at the end of it. They had not had everything go back to the way it was. So, when Jesus in this final conversation says, wait for the promise of the Father, you will be my witnesses, they are like, wait, what about our country? What about the kingdom? What about the thing you came to do? What about the thing, the, going back to normal? It'd be like if Jesus came up on, on earth and we were like, are you going to fix everything? He's like, yes. And then he's like, all right, I'm out. And you're like, wait, 25% still? Like, we, we didn't know the restaurant's open. Can I go to a movie? Like, you're not going to fix any of this? And he starts to leave. He does leave. And they didn't understand. Their expectations were that the agenda of God in sending Jesus was primary political. And this was not the case. So here's what happened. I just spent 10 minutes explaining a quarter of a verse in your Bible, right? Because they just asked, are you going to do the kingdom thing now? Why did I do that? Why did it take so long for that? Because they thought they understood God's plan but in reality, they elevated and idolized and supremely desired the wrong thing. And I think that's super easy to do. I think it's super easy to think you understand God's plan. And God's like, hey, I'm letting you do this. And you get that thing. And you're like, I really love this thing. And you elevate and idolize and supremely desire that thing instead of actually doing what God has called you to do. And here's what you need to understand. You might be desiring the wrong thing. It's entirely possible to hang out with Jesus and know him really well and walk with him for three years and still slip into this so easily. You, you can hear Jesus speak. You can understand his teaching. He can work mightily and powerfully in your life and your supreme desire can still be misguided. This is why this interaction, this conversation they have, and Jesus says, wait, is so important. It's so crucial in our lives to wait on the Lord because it's in those moments of waiting that the Lord can convict our hearts of wrong desires and wrong hopes and misguided dreams and ambitions. This is why Kayla's uh, resource that she's presenting that you can look up this is so important. It's not just sit and ask for stuff. God, do this, God, do this, God, do this, God, do this, and help me here. Amen, right? No, no, no. It's like, hey, God, am I going the wrong, am I pursuing the wrong thing? Am I doing this wrong? Because it's really possible to do that wrong. The disciples are doing it right in front of you. You're looking at these people who should know exactly what God wants to do on the earth, and they don't. And I fully expect right now, fully expect that somebody is listening to this, and the light bulb like just went on in your soul oh, I've been chasing this thing, and maybe that's not even the primary thing that God wants me to chase. Maybe I've made this good thing the supreme thing, and it was never supposed to be the supreme thing. 
Maybe you've been thinking God's plan for your life was this thing over here, and really it's become an idol for you. You've been chasing the thing instead of using the thing to get to God. Now, I'm not going to rebuke you this morning because Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples, right? Look at what he says in verse six. They ask, yo, can we be in charge now? Can we have political power? Can we stick it to the Romans now? And Jesus answers, and he doesn't rebuke them for their desire, but he does redirect their desire. Look at verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They want to be rulers. Jesus says they're going to be witnesses. They want it right now. Are you going to do it at this time? Jesus says it's not for you to know the times. They want the political power, and Jesus says, I'm sending Holy Spirit power. Do you see how far their expectations were off? The timing was off. The method was off. The power was off. Like the authority was off. It wasn't, it wasn't completely wrong, but it wasn't completely right either. And so their, their instructions are just a little bit off. Their expectations are just a little bit off. And what Jesus says, he's just so gentle. He's kind, way nicer than I would be. He's like, you guys, you just don't get it at all. You think you're gonna, I'm gonna help you be politically powerful and that's not what the kingdom of God is about. How, about. how about this? How about you just wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, he'll direct you into what to do. It's not for you to figure out the time. I know you want it now. Everybody wants it now, right? Yeah, surprise, surprise, right? Just wait, hold on, you'll be all right. I will tell you exactly what to do and in my timing, it's gonna work out great. Nobody in here is like that, though, right? Nobody in here wants it now? Nobody in here wants their problems fixed immediately? Nobody in here is impatient? You guys are all much more spiritual than me. Me and the disciples are impatient. You guys are all better than that. I know you, right? You pray, and you're like, whatever your time is, Lord. No, that's not true. Everybody's like this. We're all like, please do it now on my timetable because I know exactly when and how and, and the methods. This is exactly what we do all the time. And Jesus is so kind and so gentle. He knows all of this. He knows their impatience. He knows their desires. He doesn't yell at them, but he does give them like a new trajectory. He gives them their energy like a new direction. Here's how I see it. They have the right desire for God to set up his kingdom on earth, but they are pursuing it by the wrong methods. They think they're going to get there by political power. So they have a good destination, but they're on the wrong path. It's good that they want power from God, but they're thinking of the wrong type of power. And here's where they got it twisted. They thought the Messiah would serve the kingdom, but really the kingdom was intended to serve the Messiah. You see the difference? They saw the Messiah as a means by which to achieve the restoration of the kingdom. And God's real plan was to restore the kingdom so that all the world may see the Messiah, right? The Messiah was intended to point, the Messiah was not intended to point to the kingdom. The kingdom was intended to point to the Messiah. They got it twisted. They got it out of order. And Jesus is so gracious. He's like, you, you just don't understand the order here. You just, it's a little bit, the kingdom and the Messiah, like we, we both want both of those things. But first and foremost, the Messiah is not primarily about the kingdom. The kingdom is about the Messiah. 
The kingdom is supposed to point to the Messiah. The end point of all things is the Savior, is Jesus Christ, is his death and resurrection. Like that's what all of this is pointing to. His, he's not pointing to something else. Jesus is like, ah, yeah, you know that dying on the cross thing? It's great because now I can set up a cool palace in Israel. No! Like all this stuff on planet Earth is supposed to point back to Jesus. And I think it's important for us to understand because what we have here is godly, sincere people who sincerely want to do what God wants them to do. But they got the order a little messed up. And then because the order is a little messed up, their priorities were off. Because their priorities were off, they thought they knew what God wanted, and they thought they knew what they themselves wanted. But what happened is they are pursuing the right things, but at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. And so we elevate these things that aren't priority God. We do it all the time. I see it in the American church. I see it in our church sometimes. I see it in my own life sometimes, right? We get the order and the priority switched. This morning, I was, we were down a person, Jake's, taking his wife to Valentine's Day birthday celebration. So I had to lead worship, which is fine. Uh, but I get up here, and I haven't played my guitar in a little bit. So I'm playing, and it's sounding weird and all this stuff. And I'm looking at the time, and we usually pray for the service at 930. Right? So all the volunteers get together. We pray for the service. We pray for the people who are coming in. We pray that God blesses you. We pray that your car starts, all that stuff. Right? And so I was like looking at my thing. And I was like, oh, man, I got to fix my guitar. And I was like, no, but I know we got to pray. And I'm like trying to decide internally if I'm going to fix my guitar or I'm going to pray. I was like, what's more important? Like we play the guitar so that we could spend time in the presence of God, right? That's like, that's the point of having a guitar is so we could sing praises to God and be in his presence. So I'm kind of like, like debating in my mind, like, should I spend time with the Lord in prayer or should I fix my guitar? It's like, you got the order messed up, man. Like I was convicted of that like an hour ago, right? As your pastor. So I know this happens in lives, right? You, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you get the priorities, right? This is why it's so important to wait before the Lord. It's very possible that you might be desiring the right thing, but you're going about it the wrong way, or you're desiring it at the wrong time, or you've got a thing elevated above Jesus. So you're living as if Jesus should help you accomplish this thing instead of this thing helping you point to Jesus. And Jesus says this incredible thing in verse 7. It's not for you to know the times of the seasons. It's not for you to know the times of the season. We have this thing about us as humans that we always think we are entitled to everything we want. You owe me. I deserve blah, 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 right? Fill in the blank. I should, like, there's all this stuff that we think we are entitled to as humans. I should be able to know when and how long and why and what for, right? We think we should come to God and demand an explanation. Why is this taking so long? Why is this so hard? How long is this going to go on for? Why is it not happening now? Make this make sense to me. And life just doesn't work like that. I'm just telling you, life doesn't work like that for anybody, not just Christians. Nobody on life gets those answers. There are going to be things in life that it would destroy you if you knew them, like how long you were going to live or the day your spouse would pass away. Like those things, that's just not information you should have. And then to further prove God's wisdom, if we did know the timing, we would convince ourselves that we didn't need to listen to God anymore, right? If God was like, oh, yeah, this thing's going to happen 35 years from now, you'd be like, oh, cool. 
I'm just going to chill then. And then when it gets to 34 years, I'll go to work. Right? That's what we would do because we're all procrastinators to some level. Right? Some of you would get it done right now, and then you'd forget to put the work in for the next 35 years. But most of it, like, that's just why the information is not good for us to have. If we knew what we needed to know, we would convince that we need, need to pay attention to God anymore. We don't need to wait on him. It's all, there's this like some level of life that uh, God should function on our timeline. I'm ready right now. Or the other side, I'm not ready yet. Right? You ever been in that situation? Well, when I get this and that and my ducks are in a row and this is taken care of, then I'll go, Jesus has something to say about that too, right? Most of us are too fast. Some of us are dragging our feet. Like, get your butt in gear, man. God's been telling you for a long time. You need to listen now, right? But the disciples are like, let's do this now. And he's like, no, 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 it's not for you. Hold your horses there. He slows them down a little bit. So if you're one of those control freaks, don't elbow the person next to you right now because that's not nice. But if you always have to know when, it's going to be a long life for you because that's just not how life works. And that's especially not how God works. And look at what, look at what he says in verse 9. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by with them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women of Mary, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Okay, so the disciples receive the instruction and Jesus gently redirects their expectations. No, you don't know the time. Go wait. Then you're going to witness. And then immediately in verse 14, it tells us that they devoted themselves to prayer. You see that? It doesn't just say that they prayed. It doesn't just say that they're like, oh, yeah, we spent some time with the Lord. It doesn't say that they began to pray. It says they devoted themselves to prayer. What does it look like to be devoted to something? What does that look like in somebody's life? Like, I like ice cream. I don't think anybody would be like, he's devoted to ice cream. Right? What, devotion it's, it's hard to define, but it's like you know it when you see it, right? I like a lot of things in life. I don't think that there's a lot of things in life I'm devoted to. In fact, that's probably a great place to start when we talk about this. How many things in life can you be devoted to? 65? Can you be devoted to 65 things? Seems like a lot. 40? Can you be devoted to 40 things? 23 things? 12 things? How many think you could be devoted to 12 things at once? Seven? No, no, no. Devotion is like a couple things, like one or two or maybe three, right? I can only think of a couple things in life that I would describe somebody as devoted to, right? He's a devoted father, or she's a devoted mother, or she's a devoted wife. He's a devoted husband, right? He's a devoted follower of Christ. There's only a few things that it's possible to give your entire life to in that way of devotion. 
You only get one or two or three. And one of the things that the disciples were doing was devoting themselves to prayer. So here's where I'm going with this. Their life was characterized by a devotion to prayer. And if the first followers of Jesus thought it was necessary to devote themselves to prayer, then prayer is probably a necessary piece of the puzzle, right? It's probably essential. It's probably not optional. And it's most likely not news to anyone here. Is that surprising to anyone here? Like, oh, I'm supposed to pray? No, we all knew that. So what do we do from here? Everybody knows they should pray. Everybody has almost always known they should pray. You knew yesterday you should pray. You will never make progress in prayer on accidents. Okay? So if you knew yesterday that you should pray and you don't change anything today, then tomorrow is not going to be any different. Like, it's not osmosis. You can't just hear me talk about prayer and then all of a sudden be like, oh, my prayer life's great. No, no, you actually have to go pray, right? It's one of the things I find that I hate about myself. If I feel like there's a deficiency in my life, I go read a book about it, right? So I've read lots of books on prayer when I probably would have been better if I spent that time actually praying, right? Like, oh, I need to pray more. So I read an eight-hour book on prayer, or I should have just spent eight hours praying. Like, I get to the end of it, and I was like, why did I not do that, right? And I think that's sometimes things that we overlook, if we always do what we've always done, you always get what you've always gotten. That's profound. Think about it for a second, right? You have to make progress intentionally. You will never get better at prayer on accident. And I'm saying this to you as a confession of sorts, because as a church and as a leadership team, we have said that we are focusing on prayer for this quarter. And you know that. And you know what doesn't change anybody's prayer life? Saying that you're going to focus on prayer. Getting up here and be like, we're going to focus on prayer. Didn't change anything. Actually going and focusing on prayer is what changing. If you don't plan on scheduling prayer, if you don't plan on spending time in prayer, what if you did this for your wife? It's Valentine's Day. Let's make a romantic little illustration here. Hey, honey, do this on your wedding day, right? Hey, honey, whatever time is left over in my life or whenever I think of it, I'll give you attention. How many wives are signing up for that? Right? Groom, repeat after me. When all my other stuff is done, or right before I go to eat, I will give my wife attention. Nobody would sign up for that, right? That's the dumbest thing. No, you have to plan to have, be married. You have to plan to give your wife attention. Same thing comes with the Lord, right? You will not get better at prayer on accident. You will not receive what the Lord has for you through prayer on accident. Now, if you are listening to me right now and you're like, whoa, pressure, guilt trip. Thanks, Jared, which is a little bit out of character for me. I don't usually throw a whole bunch of guilt trips out there. I usually try to stay away from that. But I will point this out to you and you could do with it what you want. God knew that our church was focusing on prayer. And he let you come to this church this morning. There's hundreds of churches in this city that you could have gone to. And God let you come to the one where I was going to get up and be like, hey, let's focus on prayer. That wasn't an accident, right? The second thing is, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. Prayer should not be seen as an obligation, right? 
it should be seen as an opportunity. In my own testimony, and I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but like God put it on our hearts to pray as a family right before he did amazing things. That's usually how it works with us. Like we didn't go through life and be like, we're going to muster up the strength to pray more. It was like we got this like nudge from the Holy Spirit. It was like, hey, spend some time in prayer. And we started to pray and he's like, bingo, like jackpot and just poured out the stuff. Right. So there's an opportunity in front of you that God wants to bless you in and use you in and build his kingdom through. And he's just calling you to pray, I promise you. But you won't do it on accident. You won't do it on accident. All right, we got to finish. Back to our story. The disciples and the other followers of Jesus are in a room, devoting themselves to prayer. And this is what happens. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons in all was about 120. So there's 12, well, there's 11 disciples left from the disciples of Jesus, but there's about 120 who would call themselves disciples, followers of Jesus that are in this room praying. And Peter stood up and said, verse 16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Hmm. And verse 19, it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles." So if you remember the story of Jesus' life, here's what just happened. For the last three years, the 12 disciples were following around Jesus, listening to his teaching. And one of the 12, Judas Iscariot, betrayed Jesus, which ended up in Jesus being crucified. So he got some money to betray Jesus, ended up Jesus got crucified. After that, he was so distraught at what he had done, the Bible tells us in the gospel accounts, that he went out and hung himself. Okay. now apparently something went wrong in that process because this tells us he fell and his guts gushed out, which is an incredible description the Bible gives you. So apparently the rope broke or the branch broke or something along those lines. Not a contradiction. Easily to see like, yeah, he went out and hung himself, didn't work out well and he fell. Okay, so that's what happened. Peter stands up in the middle of this time that is devoted to prayer and says, I think we need to replace Judas. There was 12 of us. There's only 11 now. I think that we need to find someone who has been with us this entire time and replace him so that we have 12 witnesses to the resurrection once again. So they pick two people, Matthias and Justice, and they say, all right, God, show us which one of these two you want. 
And so what they do is they cast lots, which is like a chance type of a thing, you know, rolling the dice, flipping a coin, drawing straws. It's that kind of a type of a thing. And the lot falls on Matthias. And so bingo, bingo, boom, Matthias, you are the next apostle. Come on down. Right. So this is Matthias. He's now numbered with the 12. There's lots of opinions on this. People read this story, they go, this is a weird story. And there's lots of commentators that are like, this was not from God. It's like, we never hear of Matthias again. They were told to wait. They didn't wait. They chose an apostle. We never hear of this guy doing anything great. And then on the flip side of that, we later learn about the apostle Paul's conversion. And the apostle Paul is like writing books in your New Testament. And so there's this huge group of people out there who said this was very wrong. God's choice to replace Judas was the Apostle Paul. Man's choice was Matthias, and that was clearly wrong. The problem is, the Bible doesn't say any of that, right? Yes, we never hear from Matthias again, but we don't hear from lots of the apostles again. Like most of them, we don't hear. What happened? Not nothing. We don't know. We're not sure. And nowhere in here does the Bible say like, hey, they shouldn't have done this. So I don't take too much time to figure out like whether this was right or whether this was wrong or whether this should have happened or whether this should have happened because I, I really have no idea. I really have no idea. And God doesn't take the time to show us. But here's what I do know from this story. They probably thought Matthias was going to be one of the 12 and then they were going to go out and they were going to do the stuff they'd been doing for the last three years. And they were going to preach the gospel and the Pharisees were going to argue with them. They were going to heal some people. They were going to make some sick people well, some blind people see, some deaf people hear. Like maybe Jesus would help them walk on water. They probably thought that what they were going to do was going to look like what they had done. And they probably thought Matthias was going to be a part of that. But the truth is, what was in front of them didn't look anything like what was behind them. What they thought was going to happen when they voted Matthias into this thing and cast lots and it fell on him, they're probably, this is what's going to look like. No, 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 that's not what it's going to look like at all. What we learn from this is we think that we know what it's going to look like when God works. And the truth is, you have no idea. You have no idea. And I could tell you story after story after story after story after story where God does stuff through circumstances and in ways and works more powerfully and just aligns things. Like God works in unexpected ways is like so much an understatement and cliche. I don't even want to use that phrase, but that's so true. Whatever it is that God has in front of you, I promise you, it's not going to look like you'd expect. It's just not. You have your expectations. It's going to be the kingdom and it's going to be now. And it's the Messiah is going to help us get back to where we were. And God's like, no, 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 it's not going to look like that at all. And you, out of all people in history, should know that in the middle of a pandemic. A year ago, you did not think your life was going to look like this. God works in unexpected ways over and over and over and over. So here's where we'll finish this morning. Some of you need to hear the instructions of Jesus this morning to wait and to listen to him. Some of you need to be encouraged to witness in his power. Some of you need to think about prayer completely differently and probably structure your life or plan a little bit so that you actually plan to pray. Some of you will need to examine your desires. 
Some of you will need to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. And all of us will need to expect the unexpected. Become comfortable with God changing your plans and turning your life upside down and doing incredible things through circumstances you would never expect. Things that you would have been like, oh, that's totally negative. That's good. That'll be awful. I hope that never happens. He'll use for good. And things that you're not sure, you're like, oh, that would be so positive. I can't wait for that to happen. That could only be good. He'll keep those things from you. He'll lead you on a journey you'll never expect. Things that you're like, yeah, that has to be good. He'll be like, no, don't touch that with a 10-foot pole. That'd be terrible for you. Things you're like, oh, no, you got to protect me from that. He'll lead you right through the valley of the shadow of death. So you come out the other side of fear, no evil. He redirects your plans. Lives that have no hope, he gives hope. He uses those kinds of lives to become the biggest blessings in your life. He uses the things that you never would have expected, the things that would be foolish to the world, the things that nobody looked, the things that you look like, if that doesn't make any sense, God's like, that's my plan. And then other things, you're like, that makes perfect sense. He's like, no, don't go there. Right? It happens over and over and over and over again. He redeems lives. Redeeming is taking something that you think is worth nothing and adding incredible value to it. That's what God's specialty is. He's like, yeah, you don't get it. You don't know the time. You don't know the plan. Just wait and listen. And you'll have the power. And you go witness and expect the unexpected. God is going to surprise you, I promise. He's going to do things in a different way at a different time through a different plan than what you even think is possible in this moment right now. And I kind of daydream a little bit. I don't know about you, but I, I like fantasize about what it would look like, what my life would look like, what, what my marriage would look like, what my relationship with my kids would look like, how my kids' lives would turn out, what, what this church would look like. Like, who could we help? Like, what kind of difference could we make in this world if we waited and listened and devoted ourselves to prayer and expected the unexpected. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for uh, the ways that it challenges us and challenges our thinking. And, uh, and sometimes maybe we're, we're desiring the right things, but in the wrong way or at the wrong time or maybe in the wrong priorities or the wrong order. And you just... You just so gently nudge us in the right direction. I'm thankful, I'm thankful for that, Lord. I pray that the, the people in this room who need to hear that encouragement, that gentle nudging in the right direction, I pray that their hearts would be open to what you have to speak to them. I pray for the people who are at home who didn't make it to church today or maybe they're listening online or, or wherever they're at, Lord, and you desire to reach them. In this moment, I pray you do that. I pray you give us the gift of hearing you and the gift of repentance. Lord, it's in your name we ask these things. Amen.